Alrighty, today we're going to be diving in to what's the word, talking about how not to get beaten up in life. And this is something that the Lord just actually this morning when I was praying, he just brought it up to me and started speaking it in my spirit. Have you ever been in a position where things have just been trying to come against your mind, come against your life? Like you've just seen like junk happen and all of a sudden, your eyes just open up and you see the attack for what it is. Nothing. It's just a great big lie that's trying to rile you up and the joy of the Lord hits you. And all of a sudden you realize there is no weapon formed against me that can prosper. That's the heart of this message today. We are in a season where there is hope and hope is alive. We're in a season filled with the goodness of God. What's that season? Life. Life, there is a never ending supply of God's goodness that's available for every single believer. We don't ever have to be in anything but overcoming life. So today we're going to be talking about how you can step out of getting beaten up by life and step in to the supernatural blessings of God. And it's going to be phenomenal. So right out the gate with a topic like this. We have to have some ground rules, just some, some really easy things right out the gate. The first one that I want to let you know, attacks are nothing except a powerless, deceptive destruction attempting to steal your authority and your peace. Attacks are nothing except a powerless, deceptive lie coming to do only steal, kill, and destroy. Attacks are powerless, deceptive, and a lie. That's all they are. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. So right out the gate, as we're talking about this, I want you to have confidence and surety that no matter what you've been facing, no matter what you've seen, there is a way of escape and his name is Jesus. No matter what's tried to come against you, you have a hope and you have a sure foundation and his name is Jesus. He is alive. He's on the throne and he was raised up and seated in heavenly places so that you could be raised up and seated in heavenly places. You are not weaponless. You are not powerless against attacks. No, attacks are powerless, deceptive lies trying to convince you that you're weak. You're anything but weak. And we're going to prove it to you today in the scripture. Also, Levi, you are our 100th commenter. You can claim your gift by going to whatsright.com slash gift today, and we'll get that out to you as soon as possible. So the first place I want us to go to, and we're going we're gonna to move kind of quickly on through this point, but I just want to make sure that we have a foundation. You know, John 10, 10 tells us that the thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I, Jesus, have come that they, who's they? Anyone who would call in his name, anyone who would believe in him, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Let me ask you this. When did Jesus ever fail? Never. Like, I mean, that's a Sunday school answer. Like, I, I remember hearing that. When couldn't Jesus lie? Never. Like, I get it. That's a simple one. But so often we haven't 
taken that truth and applied it onto ourself. If Jesus never failed, then when he said his whole purpose in coming was to give us life and life abundantly, then that means anything that looks like stealing, killing, and destroying has no power against me who believes, against you who believes. So if you're in Christ, and how are you in Christ? You have made Jesus your Lord and Savior. You've called on his name. You've confessed your sins to him. You've received him as Lord. You're in Christ, baby. You are covered by him. If you're in him, then stealing can't touch you. Destroying can't touch you. Killing can't touch you. If it looks like any of those three and you belong to Jesus and he said, the thief does this, but I came that my people would have life and have life in abundance, that anything that looks like the curse can not belong to me. It only belongs to me if I receive it. You know, and I've given this analogy on the broadcast before, but it's like a mailman coming up to your house. Like yesterday I was at home and I, I had just gotten home. I was out Christmas shopping and I'm putting Caroline down for a nap. And all of a sudden I hear a knock on the door. And I, I mean, sometimes I screen who's at my door and by sometimes every time I screen who's at my door. And this time there's a lady there wanting me to sign for a Christmas present package. And I saw her at the door. I opened it up. She wanted me to sign for it. I took the package yippity skippity, I now have a Christmas present in my house. Well, that's what the enemy does. He comes with stealing, killing, and destroying. He packages those three up and makes them look like they belong to us. He addresses them to us. He puts our name on it. He sends it. He tries to send it to our house. He tries to get us to open the door and sign for the package. But the only way Stealing, killing, and destroying belongs to me is if I put my pen to that pad and I sign my signature on it and says, yes, I received that. And then I bring it in myself. But I don't have to open the door to the enemy. Hear that. You don't have to sign for his package of destruction. You don't have to sign for his weapon of lies. You don't have to sign for doom, gloom, and agony on me. You do not have to partake of it. If God didn't author it, if God didn't send it, it doesn't belong to you. If he didn't send it, you don't have to take it. Put that in the comments. If God didn't send it, I don't have to receive it. If God didn't send it, I don't have to receive it. And what our mind tries to do sometimes with something like this, Marky was talking about it, I think on Wednesday, there's so much simplicity in the gospel that our minds try to make it more complicated than that. And it's like, okay, well, God doesn't want me to have it, but what if life just happens to me? Hear me, life can't just happen to a believer unless we relinquish our authority to life. Life can't just happen to us. We are anointed by God to happen to life. 
We are carrying an anointing greater than ourselves into the world. And the only way life starts beating us up, the only way things just start happening and doom and gloom and agony takes place is if we relinquish our authority and say, okay, I'll just wait for this to be over. No, we're not supposed to let life happen to us. We're supposed to happen to life. And you see that example in Job. Job opened the door to the destruction in his life through fear. Fear, here's where fear fits in there. Because logic, logical Barrett back in the day used to be like, well, fear is different than stealing, killing, and destroying. Maybe fear is a different thing. No, no, no. What does fear do? It steals your joy. So if it ends up bearing the fruit of stealing, It is part of the curse. So Job flung the door wide open to that destruction with his own fear of what was going to happen to his children. And then through that fear, instead of worshiping God, he ended up blaspheming against God and positioning himself in a place of pride. I didn't do anything. Life is just happening to me. Why is this happening? And he just whines for chapter after chapter until God comes in and is like, Job, wake up up. What are you saying? What are you doing? Don't you know who I am? And as soon as Job recognized that he had opened the door, as soon as God got his attention with his words, Job's very quick repentance to the Lord brought what happened. Life didn't happen to Job. His repentance put him back in a fellowship with God and God blessed him double, double of what the thief had stolen. God doubled it back to him. That's who your God is. So life can't just happen to you unless we allow it to happen. You know, yesterday, go with me to Psalm 32. I was reading in the word yesterday and Psalm 32 10 says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And if you break down what those verses mean, if you break down the words, Loving kindness, what that word does is loving kindness means mercy. Loving kindness, I mean, I have it right down here in, my, in the Bible. It means mercy, favor. It means reproach of the wicked. So God's loving kindness attacks wickedness that tries to come against you. And when it says the lo- God's loving kindness shall surround him, Basically, what this verse means is if you trust in the Lord, the loving kindness of God, his mercy, his kindness, his favor, his protection, his his reproach of the wicked, it acts as a protective border wall around your life. And think of it this way. How is a castle protected? It's fortified by a barrier of protection. It's fortified by a border wall. How does God protect you? His goodness, his mercy, his loving kindness, it surrounds you like a protective border wall, like a force field where nothing can get in, nothing can touch you except for his goodness. Let me ask you, how is God's goodness short-sighted? Is God's goodness lacking anything? Of course, the answer to those things are no. Well, if his goodness isn't lacking anything, if he's not short-sighted, then doesn't he know every scheme of the enemy? 
Doesn't he understand every single weapon that the enemy would be foolish enough to try and form against you? Of course he does. Then if he knows it and he is an all good, all perfect God, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if you're in him, in him, Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and find our being in him, wouldn't it stand to reason that if we're in him, and he is all-powerful, all-knowing, that there is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. Every weapon formed against you comes to nothing. They're all exposed, can't prosper, and they're destroyed. He's a thorough God. You're kept in him. Attacks. Our responsibility is to see the attacks for what they are. Powerless, deceptive lies trying to get you out from underneath your covering. You know, it's like an umbrella. Being in God, being in him, in him we live and we move and we find our being. Being in him is literally like being underneath of an umbrella. When we're out in the middle of a torrent downfall, if we have a big umbrella, what water is going to touch us? Like one of those very strong, like, I mean, I remember having them in college, the great big dome umbrellas, not just the ones that act like a canopy over you, but the ones that actually like bubble you in. No water got on me with those things. I was fully protected from it. When we're in Christ, it's like being underneath that umbrella of covering. Though there may be winds around about me, I am kept in him. I am fully protected by him and no weapon formed against me can stand. That's why in Ephesians 1, 18, 19, and 20, that's part of the reasons why we pray regularly here in the ministry, why I personally pray over myself daily Lord, let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened, not just so that I understand the word solely, but so that I understand spiritual things. And when a spirit raises up against me that's pretending to be big, bad, and whatever, I see that it's nothing more than the great and powerful Oz in The Wizard of Oz. That was a shrimpy little midget man hiding behind that curtain. He could do nothing. He was a nothing. What made him scary? Deception. Deception. But when you yank the curtain down and you saw what was behind that curtain, all of a sudden on the inside you realize, oh, what is this? You know, it tells us in the word that there's when the end of days comes and when we're reigning with Jesus and Jesus makes an open public show of Satan, the people, the brethren are going to look at Satan and be like, Is this the one? Is this really him? Because we're going to see that all Satan was, was smoke and mirrors. All that was happening was deception and lies. Why? To strip us of our authority. Because if we'll relinquish authority, the enemy is more than happy to take it up for us. It's our responsibility to know what attacks truly are. Nothing. They are lies They are deception and they're powerless. They're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. You know, 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in God, trust in God, revelation of God, understanding of God, that allows us to step into a place of true authority. 
You know, 2 Corinthians 2.14, one of these verses that we say regularly here on the broadcast, but thanks be to God who is always leading us to triumph in Christ and manifesting through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. You know, Acts 17, 28, we already said in him we live and move and have our being. Attacks are nothing. Life, it's nothing. It's nothing that can stand against you. It's nothing that can overcome you. Not because you by yourself are bringing anything to the table other than your faith. God is the one who who is bringing himself to the table on your behalf. And that goes into the second point. So we have to, number one, we have to see attacks for what they are. Powerless, 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 powerless. I'm going to say it again, powerless, because it's got to get inside of us. That lie in, that tries to be in your mind, it's powerless. Don't sign for it. It's deception. It's a lie. It's powerless. And then the second thing, we need to see that there is more with us than there are against us. You know, in 2 Kings, in chapter 6, you know, it's talking about I mean, we'll just go there real quick. Second Kings chapter six. It's a story about Elisha. And I'm just going to read it. Verse eight says, now the king of Aram was warring against Israel and he counseled with his servants saying in such a way or in such and such a place shall be my king. Basically, King Aram is coming against Israel, the tribe of Israel, that the nation when they split up and they had the two tribes The king of Aram is basically saying, I want what Israel has. I'm going to come against it. And what ended up happening is Elisha heard the plans and the schemes of this king. And he goes to the, to the leader of the tribe of Israel. He sends word to him, lets him know that gets back to King Aram. And he's like, who's doing this? Who is basically, who's being the mole? Who's leaking this information to Israel? Who's coming against me? And they tell him, it's not us. Elisha, the prophet, the man of God is hearing the words that you are speaking in your bedroom. He's hearing you talking and he's disclosing those things to Israel. So in verse 11, well, no, we already talked about that. In verse 13, the king of Aram says, go and see where he is that I may send and take him. Now, this isn't the king of Aram saying, I'm going to go take him on a date. It's going to be really fun. Like, we're going to go to the zoo and we're going to go get ice cream and it's going to be a Buddy the Elf situation. Let's go have some fun. That sounds like a cool guy. No, he's saying, I want to know where he is. I want to kill him. Like, that's the sort of encounter he wanted to have with him. So where is he so I can take him? And it was told to this king saying, behold, he's in Dothan. And the king sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city, the city where Elisha was. Kings, horsemen, the armies of this king came for one man to strike him down because he was relaying the schemes of the enemy. He was exposing darkness. That does not look great. So When the attendant of the man of God, so when Elisha's servant sees all of this, he, imagine this, you know, it's nighttime, you go to bed, things look hunky-dory, you wake up, you're not even Elisha, you're just the servant of Elisha. When he rose early and he had gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. 
Like imagine being that servant. You think you're gonna go collect like firewood to go make breakfast and all of a sudden here's an army here to kill you. Good morning. No, like that's what this guy is being faced with. And he goes to Elisha and says, alas, my master, what shall we do? What was Elisha's first response? Do not fear. Do not fear. Everyone watching right now, if an attack tries to come, if a weapon tries to expose itself to you and and make it seem like your end is near, the first thing you need to do, do not fear. Do not. Do not let fear come in. Fear is that little bit of leaven that leavened the whole lump of bread. It is destructive. So what was Elisha doing? He was immediately arresting the spirit that was coming upon his servant. Stop fearing. Do not fear. And then he says, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, again, imagine this servant. Uh, uh, Elisha, it's it's you and me, bro. Like it's, it's all we've got is you and me. There's an army out there against us. And like, imagine yourself in that situation. At that point, your flesh is like, dude is crazy. I'm going to die. And this guy is insane. And they're here to take my life. Like, I mean, that's what the flesh does because the flesh only looks at what it can see. So what did Elisha do? Elisha prayed in verse 17 and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He didn't need to see physically. He needed to see in the spirit. And when his eyes were opened, it says, and the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. What did he see? And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, this servant could only see what was temporary in front of him. But the man anointed by God could see not just what was in front of him. He saw beyond the temporary into the supernatural. And he saw greater is with me than against me. Greater is with us. An army may be in front of us, but Lord, there is so much more with me than there is against me. And that's the report you've got to get on the inside of you. Greater is in you than you are facing Greater is in you. What's in you right now? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal bodies now. And if it could raise Jesus from the dead, and here's the difference between raising Jesus from the dead and raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus didn't die one man's death. Jesus died the death of every man now and that will ever come. He died for their sins. He died for their mistakes. He died with their diseases. He died with everything that was ever attached to them. Jesus's death was for all of mankind. So the power that raised Jesus up, it's not a one for one. It's not the same thing that raised Lazarus from the dead. This is that power magnified by multitudes, millions and millions and millions of people. Jesus died the death of millions so that we could be raised. That power is on the inside of you right now. Greater is in you than anything you're facing. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. 
and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So the Lord struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Elisha knew greater was on the inside of him. He recognized there's more with me than there is against me. But what did he need? He needed the word of the Lord. See, here's, here's all we need with any attack that we're ever faced with. Oh, we just need the word. That's it. We need the word. We need the word. And I'm not talking a logical word of, oh, I'm facing lack. God, give me stuff. No, I, you, we need the on-time daily bread. We need the word of God itself because what we have here in this example is Elisha spoke the word of God and the heavenly hosts moved at the word. And that's what we need to understand is we're not facing anything alone. We're facing the world through our position in Christ. What's our position? We have been seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father along with Jesus. We're not facing giants from our earthly position. We're facing little tiny peons up from heaven. We're ha we have the same perspective that Jesus does. Recognize, like when I first started praying, like, and I don't just mean like when I like habitually pray. I mean, when I first started fellowshipping and praying with the Lord, one of the first things he, he did with me, the Lord continually day after day after day, he would show me where I was praying. I was in the throne room. I was sitting beside Jesus. I was looking down over the earth and everything seemed so small, so small. You know, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you're the authority figure and there's a little kid that's really trying to get his way and they're just completely in the wrong like they're they're just really upset and they're really mad why because you cut their sandwich the wrong way and like it's the end of the day because instead of making the triangles you just did it straight down the middle and like the little kid's like I don't want the sandwich this way I can't believe you ruined my lunch well, first of all, spank the kid. But second of all, I mean, legitimately discipline that. But it, as the authority in that room, I know I've been in that position so many times. Like I used to teach kindergarten. I've worked with kids practically my whole life in different ways. And as I grew, I began to remember when I was in that place. But then I began to see that's nothing. That's literally not a problem. It tastes the same. It's the same food. There is no difference. Eat the sandwich. You don't have a problem. It, why can I do that? Because perspective has grown. I can see farther than I could before. And that's why God prays for our eyes to be opened. That's why Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened. Get some perspective. That's why God was for years was showing me, you're not praying from heaven or from an earthly position. We're praying from heaven. We're praying where our spirit man is residing. Our spirit man is one with Jesus in heavenly places. Our spirit man knows there's not even a problem. 
there's not even an issue. I'm connected to the greater one. And if I'm connected to the greater one, then everything has to work out. But that perspective is needed. <laughs> Joni said, just made Pastor Nicole cut her sandwich the other day. <laughs> Honestly, we need to realize and have perspective that there's not a problem. There's not. There is only opportunity for God to show himself strong. That's all we will ever face is opportunity for the Lord to show himself strong on our behalf. I don't have problems. You don't have problems. You have an opportunity for God to show himself strong if you're in him. And if you're in him, you can't lose. You know, go to Psalms 103.20. What did Elisha have in that moment? He had a word. He had a word. All we need is a word. What do we need? We need a word. We need to hear the daily bread. We need to hear the word of God. Psalms 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. See, God's word has a voice. When we get, I love this stuff. When we get the word of God, it's no longer our voice that's commanding the angels. It's his voice that commands the angels. See, it's weird for our logical minds to grapple with this. That's why we don't need to figure it out logically. Throw logic out the window. The word says that the angels obey the word of God. They obey the voice of the word. Now, does it just say they obey only the voice of God when it comes out of the spirit of God himself who's up in heaven right now? No, it says the angels obey the voice of the word. They obey the voice of the word. Put that in the comments. Angels obey the voice of the word. Jesus, oh, this is why the word of God is so cool because when stuff starts piecing together like this, it just starts to unlock. You know, Go with me to Matthew 4, 4. So we just read that angels obey the voice of his word and that Elisha, how did angels move at his word? Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus answered and said, you know, here's Satan tempting Jesus. Jesus eats like you haven't eaten in 40 days. Turn the stone into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he's equating the word to bread. He's like, look, I don't just need earthly bread. I need the word of life. I need spiritual bread. So then fast forward, if you will, to Luke 22, 19. And when Jesus had taken some bread and had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they ate it. So putting all of that together, what is what's happening? Jesus literally told Satan, look, I'm not eating only physical bread. I am to eat the word of God. Jesus then before he went to the cross, he took the loaf of bread and he broke it. And he's like, what you're about to eat, it's representing what's happening. 
I am breaking my body. My body is the living bread and I'm breaking it that you might become a partaker of that living bread. And what's in the body of Christ? Access to the word of God day after day. The word of God literally gives you access to Jesus's body gives you access to his word. How do I know this? Because you go back to Matthew and Jesus told his disciples, pray this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread. What's he praying? Not just food. He's praying everything that was in the bread that was my body. Give it to me today. Give me today's bread. What that means is Jesus's body gives you permission to go before God every single day and say, God, give me my on time daily supply of your word. And when you have the daily on-time supply of his word, what happens? Angels move. Angels move. Angels move. What are angels? They are keepers. They are keepers of the will of God. So when we speak the word of God, what happens in the air? All of a sudden, you know, it's like the more you're around someone, the more you start to sound like them. The more I'm around Pastor Nicole, the more I sound like Pastor Nicole, Maybe not fully with the accent, but sometimes, you know, the more I'm around her, the more I'll start to give the analogies she gives, the more my voice carries the same tones and the same intonations. And when I speak, people can confuse us. I've literally had people tell me that sounded just like Pastor Nicole. Why? Because I've gotten my daily on-time words from her. I've spent time. I've fellowshiped with her. Her words have become my words. Pastor's words have become my words. And I start to sound the same. When we get the daily word from God, that daily bread, and we speak, angels can't tell us apart from God the Father. Hear that. They hear, that sounds like my Lord, I have to move. Our words become one with the Lord's, and angels are keyed to respond to the voice of the word of God. So if an attack comes, it is powerless. Do not fear get a word and you can, you can for every single person who is listening right now, that there's been the thought and the deception that this is a hard thing. You know, Barrett, that sounds great, but really this is not easy to do. It is super hard to hear the voice of God. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's one of those deceptive lies we talked about. It's an attack against your fellowship. Jesus literally, literally gave his life that you could have access to the father. He literally allowed himself to be killed, to be destroyed in that way, to go to hell so that you could have access to God, so that you could have a daily word from him. To say it's hard to hear from God is literally slapping the the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not hard. He died that you may know God. It's not hard. He made it easy. How do we know him? We believe in him. We do the four things pastor talks about. Spirit-led word, spirit-led worship, spirit-led prayer, and corporate fellowship. Those four things help to clue us in about who God is. But more than anything, you just cry out to him. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. You pursue him. Ask. 
And he's the faithful father who responds. Go with me to Deuteronomy 30. Is this helping you guys? Like, man, this is firing me up today. Because honestly, I mean, glass house, here's something, here's why the Lord probably brought it up to me is because this morning in prayer, the Lord was showing me a promise that he's made to me, like a gift that he's told me is mine and George's to have a promise that he made. And there was an attack trying to come in my mind to make me scared of it. That's what was happening this morning. And I recognize it. I'm like, this is stupid. Like, this is dumb. And I was like, I was putting it down. And as I was putting it down, the Lord is so gracious and kind. He was showing me the verse I, we already went to, the Psalms 3210 verse, that if I trust God, my trust in God puts me in position under the covering. My trust in God puts me under that covering and nothing can touch me. So all of those fears that we're trying to say, this is real, this is real, deal with this, figure this out. It's just a lie to make me focus on them and lose my peace. Because the enemy knows if he can't at least get me out from underneath the covering, he can zap me of all my joy. If I'll listen to him, I may still be underneath the covering. Technically, but that doesn't mean that I have inner peace. That doesn't mean that I have inner joy. You don't have to listen to his loud mouth. All the enemy is is a liar and a loud mouth. Shut him up. How? Go to Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. It says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live you and your descendants. This verse is literally telling us that if we will choose the ways of God, if we will choose life, if we will choose to take Jesus by the hand and allow him to lead us step by step in his victory, even when logically it doesn't look like victory, God has programmed the heavens and the earth to back up our decision to choose life and the earth has to produce life where we go. That's literally what this verse means is heaven and earth are programmed that when a child of God, when a believer chooses life, chooses to take Jesus by the hand and say enough is enough of attacks. Enough is enough of these lies. Enough is enough of depression. Enough is enough of harassment. Enough. I'm choosing life. Earth and heaven literally have to testify that our choice was made and yield the fruit of life. That is literally what it has to do. The heavens why? Because the, in Psalm 115, 16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of man. Full authority is ours on the earth. What happens has to do with what we decide happens. They, other people may relinquish their authority. They may choose, you know what? I, I'm too tired for this. It's too much. I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this enough. Blah, 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 blah. But if we will recognize God has made a way, God has strengthened me from the innermost parts 
of my being with himself. And I have one who's greater on the inside of me. God, I am choosing today life. I refuse to fear. I refuse to turn my eyes to the left or to the right. I refuse to allow anything to move me other than the spirit of the living God. I refuse to be moved. I am yours and I trust you. The earth has to match that choice. It has to. That's how God designed it. And God's design produce in kind. Heaven and earth have been created and prepared by God to produce the fruit of our mouth. We have, hear this, we have all of creation backing our decision to walk in the fullness of God. We have all of creation waiting to back our decision to walk in the fullness. That's what this word is telling us today. You're not alone in this. You know, and I get it. I felt alone multiple times in the course of my life. I understand that. I felt alone. You know what that is? It's a deception. It's a lie. Trying to get us in a place where we step out from underneath that covering. Oh, it's all up to you. Figure it out. Do it in your strength. You're by yourself. Other people have their stuff together. Get your own stuff together first. Then God will help you. Then God will bless you. It's a lie. It's a bold face lie. God is your helper. You're not alone. You're not alone. You have God, the Father, on the inside of you. You have the hosts of heaven ready to be disposed at the word of God coming out of your mouth. You're not alone in this. If you're planted in a body, you have like-minded believers that are surrounding you that likely only need to hear how they can pray, and they will. You're not alone at all. The third thing we need to do is recognize what's the authority that's been placed within us. What authority is within us? Matthew 16, 18 and 19. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He's been asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ. And (laughs) Jesus' response to him, I say this, I also say this, that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. Will not overpower what? The anointing. What, he wasn't saying, Peter, you're not going to not be overpowered by the enemy by yourself. He's literally telling Peter, Peter, because you had the revelation that I am the anointed one. The revelation of the anointing will keep you protected against the schemes of the enemy. It'll keep you protected against hell. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth. Hear this. Whatever who binds on earth? Whatever God binds on earth? No. Whatever Paul bound on earth? Paul was a pretty big Bible figure. Whatever Abraham bound, like up in heaven for me, because I'm just a nothing here on this earth? No. Whatever you, who? Anyone who believes in the anointing. Anyone 
who places faith that Jesus is not just the Savior, he is the anointed one and his anointing. Whomever places faith in the anointing shall say, shall bind on earth and it will be bound in heaven. He literally says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. I used to super misread that. And I'm like, why am I binding stuff on the earth and then also binding it in heaven? Why is there going to be bad stuff in heaven? This sounds weird. It's just because my mind didn't grasp it. The verse is saying, whatever I bind through the authority of the word of God, I'm not just binding it here by myself. I'm not walking up to it and like duct taping its wrists together and throwing it into the ocean. No, I'm binding it here on the earth and in heaven, the angels are moving and they're binding it right along with me. It's partnership. It's a verse of partnership. It's a verse telling you, you have help and it's greater than what you can see. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Shall have, a better way of reading it is, shall have been loosed from heaven. Heaven is your helper. Heaven is helping you. Heaven is helping you. Get that on the inside of you. You are not alone. What authority do you have? Heaven. What authority do you have? Jesus. What authority do you have? His name. What authority do you have? The blood. What authority do you have? In the name. I plead the blood over this situation. And the blood is impenetrable. In the name. And then Jesus came. Final scripture. Matthew 28, 18 through 19. Jesus came up and spoke to his disciples saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now again, this is another one that I used to misread and misunderstand. And how I would read it was basically Jesus saying, Okay guys, all authority is all mine. And now because I am an authority, I'm going to tell you what to do. But that's not what this is. Jesus is saying, disciples, all authority on the earth and in heaven has been given to me. And now with this authority, I am sending you with it to go baptize people in my name, to go and make disciples of the nations, to go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I am sending you with the authority of the name. I take the name that's been given to me and I send you, go. You're not alone. You're not alone. What authority do you have? All of it. You have within your hands as a blood-bought believer, you have all of the authority of heaven and earth within your hands right now. All authority is yours. Every bit of authority is in your hands as a believer. So there's no weapon that has any power, nothing. It's a lie. It's an attempt to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And here's what I want you to know. If you're living, there's a reason for it. If you're alive, there's a fight in you. And it, here's the thing. You're not fighting to determine the outcome. You're fighting to uphold the outcome. 
The enemy only wants to steal that victory away from you. He's a cheap loser. And he doesn't, he's already been beaten. He's already been lost. Imagine it like a WWE wrestling match, you know, with like the victor has clearly been crowned. The belt belongs to the victor. The belt belongs to you. Jesus whipped all of death, hell, and the grave. He whipped the enemy. He whipped attacks. He whipped all of it. He won immeasurably. He won against the enemy. The belt's already belonging to him. What the thief did, and then he took the belt and he gave it to you. You wear that victor's crown. You wear that right now. Hear that. As a believer, you wear a victor's crown. It belongs to you. It has your name etched on the inside of it. It's engraved to you. In this room right now, there's a victor's crown that belongs to Hannah Sittler. There's a victor crown that belongs to Glenn Crabtree. There's a victor crown that belongs to Serena Crabtree. There's a victor crown that belongs to Marky Dunphy. There's a victor crown that belongs to Sammy Hall, to Barrett Nower. There's one with our names on it, with the name of Jesus on it. Hear that. You have a victor's crown. And above your name is the name above all names. You've been crowned with him. You have that. What does the thief do? He tries to sneak up behind you and convince you to take it off and give it to him. That's what he's asking you to do. The winner's already been determined. He knows you've already defeated him through Christ. He's just trying to strip you of the crown that belongs to you. He's a scoundrel. He's a liar. What we need and what the Lord told me this morning We need to get within ourselves a spiritual backbone that won't bend and won't yield and won't bow. And look, I know that to some, this may sound super corny. I get it. It was not planned. Holy Spirit brought it up to me this morning. Had no idea what was going to be happening on the broadcast in this regard today. But legitimately, think back to the plot of Home Alone. Not trying to bring it up just to be corny and because it's Christmas. But the Lord was bringing up the example Throughout the first two thirds of the movie, Kevin McAllister is home and he's trying to figure stuff up. He's this whiny kid. He's been bratty. He's been whatever. He realizes that the bad guys, that the wet bandits are trying to come in and rob his house and fear hits him. And he runs upstairs under the covers of his parents' bed. And he's like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden something went off on the inside of him. And he realized this is my home. I have to protect it logically speaking, doesn't even make sense. Kid is what, seven, eight at most? And he's going to go up against two middle-aged thieves, like thieves, crooks, scoundrels. But the grit on the inside of him that said, no way am I going to allow myself, my home, my parents' home, I'm not going to allow the things of darkness, I'm not going to allow something to come in and steal from me, I'm going to stand up and I will not bow. This home is mine. The same way grit had to get on the inside of him, it's time for grit to get on the inside of believers and refuse to bow So what? The enemy has a plan to attack you. So what? He has a weapon formed. Guess what that weapon's going to do if it even comes near you? Melt, disintegrate, be obliterated because the blood of the lamb and the all-consuming, purifying, protecting fire of God causes those things to be not as like to be not. 
They were, they are not any longer. They were formed, they're being turned and sent back to the senders right now. So what? They're planning something big. That means the fall is gonna be that much harder. How hard did hell fall when Jesus plundered hell? How big were they celebrating watching their, the Messiah on the cross? How big were they celebrating? We got him. We got the son of God. He's on the cross. We're going to win. Earth is now ours. God, you're so stupid. You have no plans. We conquered you. Ha, look at your son. He's here in hell with us. We're going to torment him. He's going to be here forever. You're now separated from your son forever, God. Ha, ha. Like how big were they rejoicing in their disgusting pride? And then, and then, get it on the inside of you that today's an and then day for you. Today's an and then day for you. Today is an and then day for you. God is more than able to turn all things together for the good of those who loved him. And Jesus loved God to the death. He loved him in hell. There was nothing that took Jesus's love from the father away from him. He loved God and the power of his faith and the, and the father's love for him rose him from the grave. How big of a mess was hell that day? How big of a fall did hell have? Big enough that Jesus could look into the future and say, I saw Satan fall like lightning, lightning. He fell, it exploded, and just as quickly as he fell, it was gone. There is no power formed against you that can prosper. There is no power that was formed to steal from you that can win unless we give the enemy our victor's crown. I'm done handing it over to him. I'm done watching Satan play dress up with the beautiful riches of God. I'm done watching him act like a king when he's been stripped to nothing, not even a pauper. He's not even a beggar. He's a nothing. He's a cretin. He's lowly. He's gross. He's disgusting. He's a liar. He's a devil. He's a deceiver. He's nothing, nothing, nothing. His ways are nothing. They can't steal. I have a hedge of protection around me. I have the blood of Jesus that covers me. I have a fortress of the loving kindness of God that surrounds me like a border wall. I am in him. I have been sent in the name. And here's the thing. If those are true for me, they're true for you. You have a victor's crown. You have a name. You have the blood. You have an authority. You have Christ on the inside of you. And greater is he who raised Jesus from the dead. Greater is he. Greater is he. Greater are those with you than there are against you. Greater, greater Today, I'm calling every person who's on the broadcast, Lord, in the name, the same, just right now, get into reception mode 
I typically have y'all pray with me, but right now I just want every person under the sound of my voice to just get into receiving mode. If you can lift your hands, lift them up. If you can't, then just purpose in your heart. I am receiving today. Jesus, the same way that Elisha prayed for his servant to have eyes to see, I call every person under the sound of my voice right now, whether live or in the time to come, give them eyes to see what is the hope of their calling in Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray that their eyes would be enlightened today. Let them see far beyond circumstances. Give every person under the sound of my voice, spiritual insight and spiritual depth of vision to see beyond what's in front of them to the root of the matter. Give us eyes that see victory. I call for hope to rise up now. I call for revelation to be in every man and woman now. I call for an awakening. I hear, yeah, Shaba. I call for an awakening on the inside of every man and woman, an awakening to the things of God, a quickening to the things of the spirit. Wake us up now. Wake us up. Wake us up. Wake us up. Wake us up. The same way, God, you woke up Job and he realized, Father, you are far greater than anything that ever came against me. And double was restored to him. Wake us up to the goodness of God. Wake us up to the reality of heaven. Wake us up to the reality of the victor's crown. Wake us up today. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask that the same anointing that is here in the studio now, I call for it to be in every home, workplace, and vehicle in the name of Jesus. I call for that anointing to cause every weapon to fall now. Weapons that have postured themselves as harassments and bullies, let those things fall now and fall fast. I call for this day to be productive, light, easy. And I thank you, God, that you turn all things, all things for the good of those who love you. And just right now, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I put my faith in you. I take you by the hand. Now lead me to your victory. In Jesus' name, I will not fear. I will not bow. I will not bend. And I'm done handing my victor's crown to a stupid enemy. I'm done living for anything, including myself. I'm only living for you. In the name of Jesus. Father, seal everything that's been prayed out. Your word tells us that the thief comes immediately to seal the seed of the word. Not today. 
Not today. Let these seeds be deeply planted on the inside of us as a whole, as a people and as a company. I thank you, God, that when the thief even comes to try and spot it, he can't even see it through the blood. Thank you, Father, that we are kept, protected, and preserved in Jesus' name. Thank you. We love you. We trust you. And we put our confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being on with us today. We love you so very much. And we're excited. Like, I am so excited for every person who just prayed with me and just received that. Here's why. Because your life is going to go higher. That's what this whole broadcast is about, guys. It's not just because we want to talk to a camera and maybe someone's going to watch. No, we truly believe that there is a supply for you. We truly believe that there is life and life in abundance available for you. I'm excited because if you just receive that prayer, it's going to change things for you. So glory be to God. If you receive today, put some hands up in the comments like they're already doing. Also, no earthquake just happened. That was just buddy. Um, he just hit the camera. Things are good here. But today, as we just finished this word, the Lord tells us that cheerful, willing, obedient hearts lead to people eating of the good of the land. If this word is something that you've received, I would encourage you right now, ask God, Lord, do you want me to sow into the broadcast today? Don't do it because it seems like a good idea. Do it because the Lord is telling you to do it. Hear his voice, move at his word. But here's what I want to tell you today. If there's even remotely a bit of fear that if I sow today, I'm not going to have enough later. I can't sow because I won't have enough for Christmas. I won't have enough for food. I won't have enough for blah, blah, blah. That is literally a lying, deceptive thought trying to keep you in financial poverty. That's what that thought is. Anything that would tell you don't obey the word it's a deception. It's an attack because the enemy knows that if we get in a place where we're obeying the Lord, quick obedience yields a quick harvest. Quick obedience leads a, yields a fruitful harvest. So if the Lord's telling you to sow today, just do it. Hear his voice. You will not be in lack. Hear it. When have you ever, ever, like I, I truly, I would challenge you, for everybody listening, I know pretty much for the most part, the people who are on live right now, I, I pretty much know all of you. When you've given to the Lord, when you've sown at his word, you've heard his word and you've sown, when have you ever been without? God never, hear that, that's an absolute statement. God never allows his children to be without if they have sown at his word. Never. God is a provider. His very name and nature is Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides. I am the God who provides all your need according to my riches and glory. God's a provider. So if that thought's trying to come up and say, I just don't know if I have it right now. I know you're telling me to God. I just don't know if I can. You can. God wouldn't ask you to do something you can't do. So just hear his voice. Be obedient. Trust him. And know that God is already planning a way to get your harvest to you. 
just like Abraham, as he was willing to sow Isaac, God was already laying up in the thicket a ram. Abraham had already crucified Isaac in his heart. He had already done away with him. God provided the storehouse that was needed in that moment. God will open up the windows of heaven for you. He'll open up the storehouse for you. You won't be without. You will be his. You will be proven to be his. Buddy put in the comments, fear is dumb. It's not just, it is dumb, but it's not just dumb. Fear is literally life-killing. Fear will zap you of life. It'll zap you of abundance. Don't move by fear. Don't move by pressure. If you don't have leading to give, sincerely, don't. Let the Lord show you what to do with your seed later. But if, you ha- if you're hearing his voice now and you know, I received today, the Lord's telling me to give today, then do it with a cheerful, abundant heart. And I'm smiling because I know in my life, I've seen it every single time, God then packages together a harvest bigger than anything I ever sowed into him. And he's going to do the same for you today. Sow into him and reap from him. And then sow into him again and reap from him. It's a cycle. God is so good. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person sowing today, I thank you, Lord, that today is a day of supernatural harvest in our body now. I thank you, God, Lord, for every person in this room right now, physically in this room, including Sammy, who's in the control room. Lord, every one of these people have sown of their time, also sow their talents, sow their finances, all to make this gospel go to work. I call for big harvests now to come to the crab trees, to Abby, to Marky, to Sittler, to Sammy, to Pastor, to myself, to anyone else, to Miss Marilyn, to Tabitha, anyone who puts their hand to the broadcast, an end of small harvests. That is the curse. That's not you. Let those things stop now. Let big harvests continue. And God, in the name for all of our viewers, I call for big, big Big heaven size harvests come quickly now. Lord, the same way that you provided for Isaac in a time of famine, provide for your people with the end time harvest of wealth. We love you. We trust you. And you're leading us to triumph today. In Jesus name. Amen.